In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. And with me is the rock star of the paranormal psychologist, the young Mr. Cal Cooper. Hello, Paulie Ron. How are you? Yeah, I feel like crap. I know. What did you catch over the weekend? What was it? A ghost? Uh, I don't know. I, uh, you know, I don't know. I got something, that's for sure. I'm just dragging it. I'm waiting for Richard to call in because uh, uh, he's supposedly be here, believe it or not. There has been a Richard sighting. All right. He is joining us tonight. Yeah, well, if he can remember how to dial, can you send him the directions <laughs> via carrier pigeon? Yeah, no, he's just writing them on the little tag now, and then he's going to yeah. put them in the ring and then put it under its leg, and then hopefully he'll be joining us on Skype somehow. Do you know anything about carrier pigeons, by the way? Do I know anything about them? Yeah. Um, not a great deal. I had some, some of my grandparents' friends probably used to keep carrier pigeons in their shed in the garden. Uh, that was very. It's more of a thing up north people used to do in the UK. It's more of a northern thing to keep pigeons in a pigeon shed. And send them out now and then, but, but I don't know a great deal personally. So that was like the first uh, email, then, right? Um, I, I suppose. Or would but, that be yeah. P mail? Yes, it could be P mail. It can be. <laughs> Anyways, oh, I understand that the ghost find the general himself, the most rigid, <laughs> most haunted Richard Felix is with us now. Are you, Richard? <laughs> How do you do? Sorry, mate. Oh dear. Uh, yeah, late again. As long as I'm late for my own funeral, I'll be all right, won't I? Yeah, we were ta- we were talking about carrier pigeons. Have you ever had a carrier oh, pigeon? Oh, were we? Yeah. Do you know anything about them? Do I know anything about them? I don't like yeah. to eat them. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I, abso- I know absolutely nothing about carrier pigeons, apart from um, they were used extensively in lots of wars for carrying messages, and um, and they have... Um, Magnetite at the in, uh, somewhere in their beak, which uh, causes them to be able to home in on things. I believe is correct, which is what we have as well. How do they know how to where to go and stuff? That's the stuff I don't understand. Oh, don't I don't know how they know where to go. Cal, they, do you know? They, it's like bats, yeah. But I bet Cal knows, don't you, Cal? Oh, it's all to do with tides and magnetic fields. Birds mm. are heavily uh, affected by those. I think if you put a 
bird in a room full of magnets, it probably would go crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I bet it would. But uh, it's all down to the same as us, isn't it? You know, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we have magnetised at the sort of sort of at the end of it, not at our beak, but uh, sort of you know top top of our nose or something like that, which gives us a sense of direction. (laughs) Are you saying we can use the top of our nose to pick up metal objects? No, it's a, no, no, I don't think so. No, not well. I don't know. We are magnetic, don't forget. And some of us have more, uh, what is it, magnetic personality than others. Um, which again is all down to, I don't know, what is it down to? Things that we don't understand. What is it? What is it? The phrase I heard. Paranormal. Yeah, paranormal. What the phrase I heard the other day? Uh, today's. Hang on a minute. Let's get it right. Today's magic is tomorrow's science. Yeah, that works. True enough. So, anyways, uh, <laughs> I don't know do we if we have our guest yet or not. Um, uh, CJ, you with us? That always works if you throw their name out there. Oh, come uh, on, CJ. I've not talked to, talk to you for a long time. I don't know if he's out of the Skype yet or not. I think that was the problem. He's got to accept uh, okay. Skypes. But anyway. I heard a voice then. No, that was me. <laughs> oh, all right then. <laughs> Never mind. So, anyways, um, it's worse than me. I, I mean, that, the carrier, carrier pigeon is interesting. It's it, it's just you know, I mean, that would be considered almost paranormal, wouldn't it? Because it's, I mean, yeah. I, I just, it would have been. It would have been. It still is to a certain extent, isn't it? We don't really understand what it's all about, do we? Well, somebody must. <laughs> well, I. I I bet the pigeons do. I mean, who thought of the stupid idea in the first place, you know? Of what? Of sending, using pigeons? Sending a message on a, tying a letter to a pigeon's leg and then flying them to somebody you want to send it to. Some military guy somewhere, I would think. I would think. But, uh, I mean, again, it's a fascinating subject, isn't it? Because, again, I mean, have you all realized how difficult it will be for us all to find our way around in about... What, ten, fifteen years? When you know, because now all we all we do is, is this will be another sense um, that we've lost because now we have satellite navigation systems, which uh, I hate, but I can't do without. I go into panic mode now. I don't know about you guys, but uh, take me into a city or something like that and try and find your way around without your sat nav, and oh my god, it's panic mode. <laughs> Anyways, I, I have gotten a message from the control and I believe that DJ is here. So, uh, Cal, I think he, he, he's a friend of yours as well as yours, Richard. Would, who wants yeah. to do the honors and introduce them? Well, hopefully in the room now we have with us, it's CJ Romo. CJ, are you there? Hi there. Hi, Cal. Yeah, I'm here. Hi, How are you doing, mate? Hi, Richard. All right, mate. Hope you're okay. Very well. Yeah, long time no speak. It's been my fault. Well, oh, that's a surprise. A <laughs> oh, and uh, CJ, Ron, Ron, CJ, I believe you've spoken before on a previous show that happened quite a while ago as well. So you have been on Ghost Chronicles before. Yeah. Hi, Ron. Nice to meet you again. Oh, wow. I, I must be old because I don't remember. <laughs> of course you do. I got, I got him on about two years ago, something like that. Yeah, you did, Richard, huh? Yeah, yeah, and we said we said that we, we if you remember 
The, the, I mean, come on, this guy is, is, is so fascinating that I said, we're going to have to get him back soon, and it's taken us two years. It's not good, CJ. It really isn't. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm afraid I've been bored half just to death. So, what's the Tell us what you've been doing. Chris, are Sorry? you still <laughs> this is This is going to be a difficult one. Tell us what you've been doing, mate. Was that to me, Richard? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. the, I'll um, give, wait a minute, wait a minute, CJ, I'll give you a hint. You're the guest. When we direct questions, it's going to be to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ron. Uh, over the last year or so, I've been looking at apparitional experiences. Uh, rather than going out ghost hunting actively, I've been interviewing people who have had experiences of ghosts. And it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating, especially what's come out of that. When's the book come out? <laughs> I'm not doing a book, Richard, you know me. I write I books, know but you I never publish too well. them, so. <laughs> You haven't got time. Tell us more, because this sounds fascinating. Well, I've written an essay, uh, a little article. It's being published in a magazine called Anomaly, uh, published by ASAP, uh, the Association yep. for Scientific Study of Anomalous Phenomena. And I jokingly entitled it, Ghosts, Why Everything We Think We Think We Know Is Probably Wrong. So... <laughs> But really, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a swipe at some of the assumptions that have grown up in parapsychology about what ghosts are, and how you know what the apparitional experience was. And I, in that article, I look in great detail at a lot of the theories that parapsychologists have come up with over the last fifty years to try and explain away, to my way of thinking, the ghost experience. Well, and I actually think that the common sense approach is actually closer to what the witnesses are reporting many of the really elaborate theories that have been developed over the last, you know, 50 years or so, in fact, going back to 1894. So now we're getting on for 120 years of apparitional research and we still don't know very much about it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I've written this article. I'm hoping it will stir up a hornet's nest, but I'm, I'm afraid this is the way of academic articles. It will just be ignored by most people. <laughs> oh, no, 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 that's just not true. I, I saw that talk. I thought it was fantastic, the talk that you did at ASAP. So, oh, um, thank you very much. It's not being ignored. It was rather overshadowed, though, by a big announcement by ASAP. I mean, uh, <laughs> did Rob Richard know all about that? I don't uh, know we... anything about it at all. We did have Dave Wood on just before he um, did the big announcement. This was like a week before the ASAP right. conference, so he needs to come yeah. back on to discuss further. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, go on, CJ, you... Um, well, basically, what's happened is that ASAP, which is one of the two really large organisations in the UK... Am I still here? Yeah. 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 As, ASAP have um, been... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Recognised by the tax office, by the UK government, as being a professional body for UK paranormal investigators. And everybody got up in arms about it, because, of course, everybody was terrified that the government was going to come and take away your EMF meter and kick in your door at midnight and start to, you know, say who could go where and do what. But Dave Wood was at great pains to say that it's a voluntary code of conduct for those who want to subscribe to it, and it's to try and introduce some degree of, of ethics and agreement right. to, you know, how people should behave when dealing with vulnerable clients. But it is yeah. entirely voluntary. But I think you should definitely get Dave back on to talk about that, because that was the big uproar after the ASAP conference. So anything scandalous I said was lost in pain. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. <laughs> but come on, listen, 
and now you've got the best part of um, oh three quarters of an hour to uh, to air your 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 scandalous views and, and tell us more okay. about it because I can't wait. Well, the first thing I said when I, as I recall, recall when I was there is I was facing an audience with lots of very attractive young women who, as you may remember, Richard, have always been a weakness of mine when ghost hunting. <laughs> I invited the audience, um, I didn't discriminate, I invited everyone in the audience, I said, if you really want to see a ghost, statistically, your best chance of seeing a ghost is at home, in your bed. I'll come back with you tonight and just stay in your bed and wait till we see ghosts. Uh, only a few of them laughed. I mean, it just shows how old and ugly I've become, but never mind. <laughs> I'm sure if Kellogg had a completely different response. But it is true, actually, that I know we spend our time at, you know, the chingle halls and the, uh, yeah. and, the, and the jails and the haunted castles, but at the end of the day, the majority of actual experiences that people have of apparitions occur at home. And very yeah. often, well, they're in their own bedroom. I'm sure you're mm. familiar with that as a fact. Yeah, However, I do. Uh, sorry, I agree. I agree with you. I agree with you. When, yeah. You know, when your mind's switched off and you, you, well, your mind's in neutral and your fingers up your bum and you've got absolutely nothing else yeah. to think about, <laughs> a ghost appears. <laughs> I think it was D. Scott Roggo who said that uh, he only had psychic experiences when he was profoundly bored. Uh, he yeah. mentions that in one of the books. Cal, you would probably know better than me, right? Um, yeah, yeah, he, he did say that. It was, it was most of the time it was just as your as these experiences are. They're spontaneous. It's um, yeah. just happen when you least expect it, and you would be going about the house just not really doing anything in particular, and then something would catch your attention, and you'd look and have these experiences. Um, that'd be for any general psychic phenomenon, not just ghosts. Well, my girlfriend Becky's just finishing her doctorate, her PhD at Coventry University on the apparitional experience, and she's done a huge survey. I haven't seen her data because for academic reasons she can't share it with me, but we did a small pilot study a few years ago, and in that we discovered that in your own home, while doing completely mundane, normal things like the washing up or the ironing, or in one case, sitting on the toilet, was, you know, where people actually had apparitional experiences now does that mean we can run ghost tours to the local toilet <laughs> listen, not, listen my next my book my next book and this is no, this is no bullshit this is true is going to be called toilet ghosts <laughs> yeah oh yeah and it's like because of the title it's bound to sell isn't it <laughs> once again oh, honestly, does not surprise me richard if it does flush with success um to be honest, well, hey, carry on. You, know, <laughs> you know the Victorian era, they said that ghosts went, whoa, oh, oh, and rattled yeah. chains, you know, traditional yeah. Christmas ghosts. Well, my friend Dave Curtin once said that the reason that this happened is it was about the same time that indoor sanitation occurred. So you heard this strange groaning, there was a weird smell, and a clanking of chains and a gurgling, and it wasn't actually <laughs> yeah, a ghost, it was on yes. the toilet. Oh, yes, but we're really the forward for me. I apologise. But to get back to the serious point, the serious point is that apparitional experiences happen to normal people in normal settings doing normal things. And it are, in fact, a completely normal aspect of human life, but yet one which has been sidelined. One, if you see a ghost, you're crazy. If you talk about these experiences, people regard you as, well, as seeing things. And I think that's partly to do with the whole history of how the subject developed. In the 18th century, uh, the great Enlightenment period, the Age of Reason, it was very unfashionable to believe in ghosts. And uh, while at the time there was a, a tremendous believing in apparitional experiences, 
They were, by learned men, doctors and scientists, often put down to hallucinations. And these hallucinations were said to be related to indigestion. Fantasies of disordered brain brought on by eating too many pickles. Um, H.P. Lovecraft, the great American horror writer, was also a profound skeptic. And he wrote an article in which he uh, ascribed eating too much cheese before going to bed as being the cause for many of these apparitional experiences. <laughs> you ever heard that one? Yeah, look yeah, at the um, before, Christmas yeah. Carol with Scrooge saying you're, um, to Jacob Marley, you're nothing but a bit of undigested cheese or something like that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that, that does reflect the opinion from about 1750 to about, all oh, 1860 that prevailed. And in fact, just beyond that, but in 1894, the Society for Psychical Research carried out this huge survey of hallucinatory experience. They called it the Sense of Hallucinations. And they had about 9.8%, just on 10% um, responses saying, yes, yes, we've had an experience that in modern terms we would describe as a ghost. And of those, a small number, it's only a small number, are what are called veridical cases, which is where the ghost told the person something which couldn't possibly be known to anyone at that time. So imagine that now I suddenly succumb and fall off my chair and collapse on the floor and the cat jumps on me and I, I suffocate. And then my apparition appears to Cal and says, I'm sorry, I can't finish the show. I've just been suffocated by the cat. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of ridiculous situation where some information has, has been exchanged that there is just no way the witness, the recipient, could possibly know. So those cases suggested that ghosts were more than hallucinations. However, for the next 150 years, pretty much everybody in the scientific world said, no, it is just a hallucination. And that's not such an unreasonable opinion. I mean, I don't know. Do you think ghosts have hallucinatory aspects? Well, I, I mean, we had, a, uh, we had a guy on the show last week that thought uh, there was no such thing as ghosts. That what we saw were all demons. Oh, my that, God. Yeah. Isn't that right, Kel? I mean... Yeah, absolutely. He he said that the ghosts were simply a, they were a misinterpretation of what we're seeing. They they are all demonic and have this religious aspect to them. So they are all evil spirits and they're all about us all the time. And sometimes we see them in this form that we do associate as ghosts. But when we don't see them, they're still about us and they're still responsible for um, bad things that can occur. Yeah, I mean, what are you demons? Yes, what are you church, a demonologist man? and a pastor. Oh, same yeah, I mean, the belief. Every every culture has had a belief in demons. I mean, if you go back as far back as you know, uh, ancient the ancient civilizations, two three thousand years before Christ, they had a belief in evil spirits, and uh, you know that's why I'm very 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 careful about messing around with these things. But but in Christianity. At the time when Christianity starts up, there's, there's a belief that the natural world, certainly in the British Isles, seems to have almost every rock has its spirit, every spring has its spirit. And we still see some of that in the early tales of the saints. But moving on from that, in the 1500s, when there's the great divide between Rome and between the Protestant churches who come out of the Reformation, at that time, it was generally believed by the Protestants that all apparitions are demons. And if you read Hamlet, the famous play, or you go and see Hamlet by Shakespeare, right at the beginning, when Hamlet sees the ghost of his father, he refers to him as an old mole. And the joke is he's saying, you know, you should be in hell. You're a demon masquerading as my father. And a lot of the drama and the tension of that play is the fact that Hamlet doesn't know 
whether the ghost is real or not, whether the ghost is a demon misleading him or really is his father, um, which might be lost on the modern audience, but it's still a fantastic play anyway, isn't it? So, <laughs> Yeah, we, we touched on that last week when um, I mentioned that I, I wrote a short article on apparitions of ancient Egypt, so that touched on Islamic tradition and how yeah. they believed in the car or the chin and um, the coup as well. And these were a representation of the human form after the person had died. It wasn't meant to be them surviving in any way. And uh, this representation could then enter a person through the mouth and possess them. So they were, in effect, um, a demon that was taking the human form and stealing it because that person was now dead, but it would haunt the surrounding site that they yeah. died. I mean, Quranic jinn, the jinn, the jinn of modern Islam, is a, is a being of pure flame, which is another kind of intelligence that lives on the earth and may choose to follow Islam and submit to Allah, or may choose to remain, you know, to, to go its own way and be a sinner. But they, they, are, they are intelligences which share the planet with us, but which just aren't made of the same kind of matter as us. And that's an even more frightening hypothesis, to my way of thinking. I know Rosemary Geely has recently written a book on them, I believe. But... Anyway, to move back, where were, we, where were we before we went on to this digression onto the demonic? <laughs> so do, do, you, do we think that apparitions can be purely hallucinatory? Yeah, I mean, every night when we go to bed, did you guys, can you remember your dream last night? Can any of you remember what you dreamt about last night? Absolutely. No, not yeah? at all. No, nope. I can. You can? You can, uh, Ron. What did you dream about? Last night? Yeah. I don't think I, I, don't think I can repeat it on the air. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> My dream was not exciting. I dreamt I was running around some hills. It was the same streets I live in, but the hills that surround my town must have moved in and crept in in their sleep. They must have gathered with some feet and just crept in because I was running up and down hills. But if you're in the middle of a dream, sometimes it's impossible to tell you're dreaming, isn't it? So yeah. my brain has that capacity to create incredibly realistic landscapes in which we can interact, in which we cannot tell the difference between the dream and, you know, if we're awake or not. And we get some of that in hypnagogic um, and hypnopompic states when you're waking up. Uh, years ago, I'd come back from a ghost hunt, young student girls over at a pub in Gloucester, and we were coming back. Not very much had happened on this particular night, I don't think, but we got back. I, I went to bed. I fell asleep, and suddenly I was startled awake because... The person who was, you know, my, my, my girlfriend at the time woke me up and she said, Chap, quick, quick, quick. And I looked up and there was this chap. I can still imagine what he looks like now. He had a red nose, blonde curly hair, blue eyes. He looked to me Dutch. And he was walking across from the bedroom door towards me. And I grabbed the bedside lamp, yanked it out of the wall and chucked it out of him. It smashed. <laughs> having gone straight through him. Unfortunately, I'd wrecked the plug as well because it was still plugged in. And at that point, she screamed, jumped out of bed, turned on the other light and said, what did you do that for? What did you do that for? And I said, what, what? The bloke, the bloke. And she said, what bloke? I woke you up because the cat was being sick on the bed. <laughs> oh, my God. So it's, just interesting. it's interesting you mentioned dreams because I know that... Uh... Uh, I was talking to Karen, uh, who, uh, I forget where she got this information. It might have been from Karen O'Keefe. I'm not sure. But um, in regards to dreams, whether you can tell if you're dreaming or not, is that if you see a sign and you're able to turn away and read it again, then uh, you're, you're not dreaming. Uh, that's, uh, in other words, in the dream world, you can't, you won't see writing uh, and be able to read it. Uh, again, like a sign or anything like that. 
That reminds me, I saw a cartoon last night of a woman pointing at a sign that said on it one word, bad. And she said, that's not a good sign. Anyway, that's uh, uh, yeah, it might, be true. it might well be true. But as we can see, I mean, the brain can hallucinate. And I mean, if you've uh, late at night woken up and been terrified by the dark shadow in your bedroom and then finally worked out the raincoat, or I once was walking down the street, a friend, I was saying goodbye to a friend, he walked down the street, he put his coat on, as he put his clothes on, I saw this thing over that, go to strangle him. And it was actually a shadow passed by a street lamp. And as he put his arms out, as he put his coat out, he put his coat on. It's very hard to describe this, but it's really vivid at the time. I was terrified. I ran down the street expecting to be in a fight. And uh, all it was was him putting his coat on. So we can misinterpret things and we can hallucinate. And to most scientists, for the last 100 to 200 years even, they have been happy to say that's all there is. There's no spiritual yep. reality. There's no such thing as ghosts. It's just hallucinations. And oddly enough, some of the parapsychologists uh, he would have thought would have been more familiar with the more problematic cases that don't fit that mould have said exactly the same thing. And I don't think it's true. I don't think ghosts are hallucinations. There may be an element by which our brain receives a psychic impression and then builds up. So, I mean, the, the argument of GNM Tyrrell, famous ghost author, was he said, well, how it works is like this. Imagine that... Richard is at Derby Jail tomorrow. You're all familiar with Derby Jail. I'm sure many of the readers know it's a, a haunted um, 18th, 19th century prison in Derby in England, which Richard runs. Imagine Richard's walking down the corridor and he suddenly sees the ghost of a jailer walking towards him. Now, according to Tyrrell, what is actually happening there is Richard is receiving a psychic impression and then Richard is hallucinating the ghost. So the ghost is actually in Richard's head but has is based on an external stimulus. Does that make sense to anyone? Yes. Yes, yeah? yes and no. Is, is that, yeah, I can understand that, but, the, the, you know, we don't understand. We really don't know what a ghost is, so we how do we no. don't, you know, I mean, how basically he could be just basically tuning in and seeing something that's there all the time, yet we can't see it only under those certain circumstances is our mind able to witness this apparition or whatever yeah. is there absolutely absolutely and one of the other hypotheses was um i can't remember who came up with it. it's called the psychic light hypothesis which is that some people who are more sensitive almost emit a kind of psychic light which illuminates figures who are there all the time so the ghosts are always there but you just illuminate them by, by the psychic vibes you're kicking out, if you see what I'm saying. The same way as if you shone mm -hmm. a torch, some people. Um, I can't remember who invented that idea. It's quite an interesting one. Mm -hmm. But the one thing you can say is that Tyrrell, Myers, Gurney, all of the early psychical researchers who looked into this issue, they all decided that at the core of the ghost experience were two things. One, telepathy. You're picking up by mind reading or by, by a telepathic impulse, a mental message, information from somewhere else, whether it's from somebody who's dead or someone who's alive. Because, uh, I mean, the classic case is the crisis apparition, where something is happening and a relative suddenly gets a strong impression of, and, and it becomes aware of the crisis you're experiencing. We all know what crisis apparitions are. I'm sure you've talked about them on the show many, many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, good. So I can carry on with that. <coughs> the idea there is that, say, for example, at this moment, I shoot myself through the foot, which would be difficult, I don't have guns. I'll stab myself with a blunt kitchen fork instead. Hang on. There we go. Ah! Right. 
if I suddenly appear to Richard at his home up in Derbyshire, and Richard suddenly sees me hopping around the room with a bleeding foot with a fork sticking out of it, and realises that he needs to phone an ambulance and send it to my home in Cheltenham, that's because there's been... What's, what's actually happened there, according to these theorists, is I have sent a telepathic message by ESP mm-hmm. to Richard. Richard has received it, and then he has created the apparition using the same well, mechanisms. DJ, I, 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 I was, uh, DJ, I was sending you a telepathic uh, thing that we have to take a break now, so keep that by. Sure. Anyway, uh, you, are you, listening to ghost, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Richard Hill and Cal Welcome Cooper to and Ron Cole. Right radio back. with a cutting edge. And we'd like to invite you to tune in Ghost Chronicles, the next generation Every Wednesday night At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time On www.toginet.com So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening Like uh, Beyond Bizarre And Cemetery Tripping Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. Except- so anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and Ron. See you then. International with Richard Felix, Cal Cooper, Ron Kolick, and a very special guest, C.J. Romer. Romer, Romer. Is that right? Yeah. yeah okay. And, and you can join us live in the Tojinet chat room or the Pararex chat room. The chat rooms are actually pretty quiet today. And uh, well, if you have a question for our guest, call in at 877-864-4869. That's 877-864-4869. And actually, you know, CJ, that Richard has figured out this ghost thing. Uh, he's written a book on what is a ghost, so he must be an expert on it. Yep. Oh. Yep. I've, I've oh, it, was with, it was C, with CJ's help, by the way. Parts of parts of that book, which CJ hasn't even seen a copy of yet, I don't think. Um, I, read it, uh, <laughs> I read it in the bookshop. <laughs> did you? Well, I thought, oh, that's yeah. all right, then. You did manage to get a <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, yeah, CJ, help me. I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert. I'm just someone that's trying to put a realistic, realistic approach to it rather than the Scooby-Doo nonsense that you get on TV all the time. <laughs> but but at my talk I gave, I said that Most Haunted was more accurate as a description of the modern ghost phenomena and what actually happens on cases than parapsychology seems to be. 
Wow. Cal, is it not true? Did I not say that? Yes, you did say that. I do recall you quite well saying that. Yes. <laughs> um, I think I did stun the audience for a moment or two because I said the point I'm making, and you know, before the thing I talked about how they all said it was telepathic and then you hallucinate, and I actually think that's a load of uh, dingoes kidneys. Um, it's, it's nonsense. It doesn't fit the evidence because, you know, what do ghosts do? On an average episode of Most Haunted, what kind of things occur other than, you know, a pet gets overexcited and, you know, people <laughs> get attacked and, you know, things like that. But, you know, what, what kind of phenomena do they experience? Oh, Rich, you, you've been on enough. God almighty, what phenomena, what, on Most Haunted? Oh, taps yeah. and bangs and bumps and bashes and stones being thrown and people being scratched and making people, <laughs> people feel sick, giving them headaches. Um, anything exactly. else? Yeah, but that list you gave is brilliant. Stones being thrown, people being scratched, people are sick, people get pushed, objects move, yeah? Yep. Now, all of these things don't happen according to academic parapsychologists, experts in ghosts. Why don't they happen? You tell me. Because they say physical phenomena cannot occur because telepathy causes the actual information and then you hallucinate the experience. Oh. Yeah, so I therefore, it's completely mental. It's you know, it's, it's happening in the head. It's a mental phenomenon. When I say it's completely mental, I'm, you know, that's a fair description of some of these theorists. It's so detached from reality, it's hard to understand how they ever develop their theories. But if you go out and ask a hundred people about their ghost experiences, they will describe the same kind of things you describe on Most Haunted. And what is interesting, I thought they were just doing that because they'd watch too much, you know, living TV. But no, no. For the last hundred years, if you look you're at right, the cases, right. people have said. Apparitions have pushed them. They have opened and closed doors. They have opened and shut windows. They act on the physical world. Now, it's pull, hard pull to see. Pull the bed clothes off them. Um, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Throwing people out of bed. And how parapsychologists got away with all these physical phenomena, which weren't reputable, you know, they were a bit disreputable, because they wanted to be able to explain away most of the apparitional experiences ESP, because telepathy was seen as more scientific. You know that. People mm. saw ESP as scientific and a belief in spirits and the supernatural as being, you know, in, as being utterly disreputable. So they wanted it to be, they wanted to explain all these things in terms of telepathy. But in doing so, they had to get rid of all these physical things. So they said, well, they're poltergeists, and there's two different types of creature. One is the poltergeist, that's the one that throws things around, that, you know, tips, tips Nanny out of the bath chair, throws baby downstairs, <laughs> and tips goldfish upside down. And then there's the apparition, and that's, the, that's the, the demure lady who walks in her diaphanous gown through my bedroom at late at night. But the two shall never meet. The twain never meet. The poltergeist was completely detached from the apparition. And in fact, I was told when I was young, before I actually started investigating poltergeist cases, on poltergeist cases, you never experience apparitions, which is complete nonsense. If you look at the yep. historical record... Yep. Most of the poltergeist cases have apparitions, and most apparitional cases, or a large number of them, have, have low-key physical phenomena, which suggests that ghosts, whatever they might be, aren't tele telepathic, aren't hallucinations, and that they can in some way interact with the physical world. So do I, believe, do I know what a ghost is? No. But do I think the theories we have are, or the ones which are common in academic parapsychology actually have any basis in the truth? No, I don't. I think... I think it was Man. Alan Gould in his book Poltergeist turned around and said that to ignore physical phenomena to the extent that some people have and to be able to preserve a theory on the telepathic nature of, of apparitions 
in the face of the evidence shows a, shows the kind of mental fixation that leads some people to end up in the mental hospital. Mm. So, I mean, Alan didn't mince his words there. And anyone who spent a lot of time on this knows that, you know, actually these, these theories, these, these, these parapsychological theories, those of Tyrrell, those of Myers, those of Gurney's, and all of this ESP stuff doesn't actually really work. So why are they fashionable? I think they're fashionable because they allow elitist parapsychologists based out of universities and labs, sorry, Cal, didn't mean that, <laughs> to actually look down on the ghost hunters. Do you see, do you see where I'm coming from? You, you, I do, yeah. They're just a way of maintaining power. Yeah. And, oh, I don't know. I'm rambling. No, I, I, anyway. I, think, I think you're right there. The, the original things by uh, Myers and Gurney and, uh, and Tyrrell, they are the founding kind of theories, which is why they kind of still mention and refer to today. But certainly, as you mentioned, Alan Gold there, and we mentioned um, D. Scott Rogo earlier, but, um, it sprung to mind like his book, The Poltergeist Experience, and On the Track of the Poltergeist. Um, he mentioned that in your classic haunting phenomena, um, where poltergeists are involved, you will see apparitions, and there will be the phenomena of stone throwing. That's one of the most common uh, anomalies reported within um, these experiences. So to suggest that they were just purely telepathic experiences or, or psychic experiences and something that is very much subjective is totally wrong. They said, no, these are things that other people can experience. I don't know if it was Tyrrell or not, uh, but he said in... Uh, collective cases where you've got several people seeing the same apparition, that it's one person that's tapping into the environment and having this hallucination. Therefore, then they're telepathically they, they, passing they it on. They telepathically transfer it to the others. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Ron, you've done a hell of a lot. Yeah, sorry, you've done many, many cases, I assume, yeah? Hell of a lot is fine. That's a, it's pretty much sums it up. Yes, I yeah, have. Rob, you've, you've investigated a lot of forms, since, yeah. Have you have you encountered much in the way of physical phenomena of the type we're talking about? Doors uh, opening, closing, objects moving. Absolutely. I mean, probably the the most phenomenal was when I was addressing uh, uh, a group that was doing a ghost hunt. They were we were in a library and uh, they were all seated in front of me, about thirty people, thirty five people, and. Uh, all of a sudden, a book from the bookshelf behind me zipped by me and went into the audience. It's just, uh, it didn't fall, it flew by me. So, I mean, that's pretty physical, and that's, uh, you know, I, I like that example because, uh, first of all, I didn't see it, and, and but yet 30 to 35 people saw it. So, I mean, that was, and, and it wasn't like we were ghost hunting or anything. It happened just huh. in, in normal every day, basically, by just, you know, explaining me in front of everybody talking. It's curious what you should say that, because... Uh, what was that? Ron, was it a haunted location that you were doing the lecture? Uh, oh, absolutely, Richard. It was the old yeah, man yeah, yeah. in the... In oh, the God, yes. Say no Richard, yeah. do you remember when we were at Derby Heritage Centre, the same thing happened to us as to Ron. We were talking... It was one of your first ghost nights there where we'd sold tickets on the internet. And we had an audience of people, and I poured two glasses of wine and put them on the counter. You were sitting on one end of the counter, I was sitting on the other. You were talking to the audience, and suddenly one of the glasses of wine shot along towards you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and nobody had spilt any liquid on the counter. Uh, we went through... We, we ticked all the normal boxes, didn't we, before... We came up with the, the, the possibility that it could have been paranormal. Um, fast, well, fascinating. We all fascinating. But it's exactly the same as Ron's situation. You're addressing an audience. 
you've got people watching you're in a haunted building and suddenly something moves. Yet these yeah. things don't happen according to the parapsychologists or those who follow no, Gurney and Terror. So, you so, know, I found... I mean, we have a parapsychologist here. I mean, Cal, do you agree with, with uh, what CJ's saying or not? Well, uh, I, I agree with what he's saying, that this is what the early parapsychologists thought, or more so the early psychical researchers thought. I suppose yeah. some of the modern parapsychologists would tend to go along with it if they're so sceptical or more so cynical that they insist that there is no such thing as objective paranormal phenomena. It's all purely Ooh. subjective and, uh, and we're creating it for ourselves. So I do agree that when people have these experiences, especially in your classic haunting, there will be a combination of factors where there are physical objects or physical changes to the environment that a number of people can see and they're not psychological, but there will be a number of experiences that are down to psychology due to the situation that we're placed in. So yeah. I, I do believe it's a mixture of everything. I, I wouldn't like to stick to Tyrrell and Myers and all, the other, all, all of their theories solely. I would agree with it to some extent, but not all the way. And I'm sure CJ would as well. Kel, have you read Stephen E. Broad or Stephen E. Broad? I'm not sure how you pronounce his surname. The Limits of Influence, Psychokinesis and the Philosophy of Science. No, I haven't read that one. It's a fantastic book. Um, the title is it's Stephen E. Broad, spelt with an E, B-R-A-U-D-E. Uh, the book's title is The Limits of Influence, Psychokinesis and the Philosophy of Science. And if that isn't enough to put you off, then you're a better man than me. But um, I managed to read it anyway. And in it, he makes a really strong case that actually what happened, the reason physical phenomena became disruptable was at the time of the early Society for Psychical Research, the early SPR, they were very heavily involved in debunking spiritualists and physical mediums. And as a result of that... Anything, anything that, it, that suggested movement of objects, you know, ha had a very strong connection, they felt, and seemed to give weight to the spiritualists and to the seance room phenomena. So they actually were biased and prejudiced against it and pretty much ignored anything that didn't meet their preconceptions and their idea it all came to tele down to telepathy. And then what happens is in the university study in J.B. Ryan, with J.B. Ryan and in the 50s, psychokinesis becomes more fashionable, the idea that objects can be moved by the mind, but it still comes down to the notion that it must be, it must be under some kind of physical laws that are related to ESP and psychokinesis, and therefore that there is a human agent that underlies all ghost experiences. That's a, strong, a very strong bias even to this day. Stephen E. Broad said, I mean, he wrote the book in 1996, and he was arguing at that time, against what he sort of perceived to be the consensus. But sure, I agree with Kel, there are many, many modern parapsychologists who don't, who don't hold those opinions, and it would be unfair to, to characterise all parapsychologists as wicked evildoers like me and Kel. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So tell us, um, CJ, <laughs> uh, at the end of your, your, your I, don't, I mean, you're not at the end of your research, and none of us are, obviously, um, uh, but what what is your honest opinion? Honest opinion. What is your opinion then? Um, what what are people experiencing? What are they seeing? Um, what is an apparition? I I don't actually know, but I'll tell you what I found out. Seventy percent of people had experiences when they were at home. Twenty nine, nearly thirty percent of people uh, weren't at home, and a quarter of those were actually driving at the time in a car. Yeah. Um, the, the places people reported these experiences to me were absolutely fascinating. A training course workshop at their job, a park bench, 
two of them happened in church. One of them happened in a fashion show in Vienna. I mean, out of all the places where you could see an apparition, a fashion uh, show is a pretty good... Um, there was only one... Well, they that do was have in the Victorian Angels. Place. Sorry? They do have the Victorian Angels. Yes. Yes. So you yeah, wouldn't I mean, see those in a fashion show, right? Uh, never mind. <laughs> that was bad, all right. <laughs> How many of them were on holiday? Oh, actually, it was 5% were abroad, uh, but the experiences weren't necessarily, weren't necessarily, or when I say abroad, they weren't, at, they weren't in their home county. They, they'd, they'd gone somewhere else in the UK, for example. So if I was up visiting you, I would, I would fall in that 5%, Richard. Right. But you, did, you so didn't it, get a, a, a percentage of people that were actually, you know, mind switched off on holiday at the weekend, no. that sort of thing. No, oh, sorry, no, I didn't know. Well, Becky might in her PhD study, but as I said, I haven't seen the data for that. What was interesting was where they occurred at home, just over half occur in the bedroom, but yes. the second most popular place, where do you think the second most popular place to experience an apparition is in the home? The bathroom or the kitchen? Kitchen's high, but it's not the highest. Bathroom? Someone, sorry? No, bathroom. Not, not the bathroom. Oh, yeah, hallway and stairs. Usually yeah, on the yeah. stairs. One in just uh, one in nine of the experiences I looked at occurred on a staircase. Five percent of them, though, happened in the garden, which was a bit unusual. I thought. So there are certain areas. Now, a it lot like of in that poem, doesn't it? Sorry, she did. <laughs> <laughs> when I was walking down the stair, I yeah. <laughs> he wasn't there again today. I wish I wish he'd go away. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So why the staircase? Why is a staircase a particularly haunted location? Goodness knows. There's something about stairways and halls and landings, isn't there? Well, is it a transit area because uh, it's it used so many times that the energy... I mean, for instance, if you were in a kitchen, you could be in a lot of places in the kitchen, but in the stairway, you're pretty much on the stairway. Yeah, that's a good point. We're on that one space, and you have, yeah, that's interesting. Um, of my st of my study, thirty six point seven percent reported experiences during the daytime and daylight hours. But when you correct it by taking off the cases where people might have been on the edge of sleep, because a lot of the ones in the bedroom they say, "Well, I was definitely awake when," and you wonder if they really were awake. So if you exclude all the cases where, from the testimony, the person could theoretically have been dreaming. It's about 50% occur in daytime and 50% at night, which I find really interesting. And in fact, one of the peak times seems to be in the early afternoon. Wow. So my suggestion now, Rich, is that you, Richard, is that you start immediately selling early afternoon ghost tours to the most haunted hours at Derby Jail. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, look, listen, listen. Oh, I, saw ghost, I saw a ghost at Derby Jail. You early afternoon. At 20, past, 20 past three on a Friday afternoon. Yep. So yep, there you go. So we'll, we'll, I shall start doing it straight away. Actually, seriously, I think during the days, when, in fact, one of the very few really, really strong experiences I ever had at Derby Jail was just after I arrived. We were, it was pitch black inside, but it was bright sunshine outside, mm. and Tom was working at the time. I had Beck with me. We were coming in the back when I thought Tom would come in the front. Because I've yeah. gone round to, to, you know, I've gone front to let the other two in. I thought Tom was messing around, but actually, 
that was in the afternoon during the daytime and I was so convinced he was messing about with me I just kind of pushed past him and went and undid the door and was surprised he was still out there so yeah I think the daytime you know so why do we hunt ghosts at night then Ghosts, because because most haunted do it, and because it's more <laughs> scary, and our and our senses are more uh, alert anyway. So possibly there's more chance of us seeing something. But uh, yeah, ghosts are not creatures of the night. No, it's a bit disappointing, really, isn't it? Because mm. you you really That's want just to killed all my ghost walks. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, not at all. You can do it during the day as well now. <laughs> I will. Yeah, I yeah but, but that, that's interesting. How how big of a, a pool did you have to gather this data? Sorry, Rob? Uh, I mean, it's it's interesting, but we, where did you get this data from? How big of a, a sample pool uh, did you have? I'll, I'll, that one only used 168 randomized from a, from a much larger collection. But I have so checked with the... 168 out of three... Billion, six billion people. Yeah, I mean, exactly, exactly. You know, I mean, these these are just these are just people who responded to a census. But when you go, I did. I used the sixteen thousand um, replies to the census of hallucinations, of which, well, it's around about one thousand five hundred are positive. And the same thing is true there in eighteen ninety four. And the same thing is true in DJ West's study. It's been the same. 1894, it was the same in the 1950s when DJ West did his mass observation study. <laughs> Every large-scale study that's ever been done has shown that apparitions are as likely to be encountered during the day as at night. So, you know, I mean, it could just be... In my case, it's probably statistical bias. I had far too small a group, to be sure. But I think when you look at the fact that there are so many studies that are showing us the same thing, but then again, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's just people tend to remember and report more the apparitions they witnessed in daytime. Maybe if it happens Absolutely. at night, they're more likely not to bother to talk about it. The, the, interesting, on any kind of... the interesting thing you say that is that I, I know people who have had paranormal experiences, and at the time they occur, they're generally either frightened or they're very disturbed by it. But as yeah. time goes on, they they start rationalizing it away, and before you know it, they never had a paranormal experience. Absolutely, absolutely. And you're the only person, I think, who's ever said that to me, which I find disturbing, uh, because up in I was up in Edinburgh seeing Richard Wiseman and Caroline Watt, Dr. Caroline, Professor Caroline Watt, sorry, Professor Richard Wiseman, April 2009. They did a, a, a one-day conference called The Science of Ghosts. And in that, two of the speakers said, and of course, we have something called confabulation. The longer it is after the experience, the, the more the experience grows in the telling. I've done some research on this, and I've found completely the opposite is true. Exactly what you say is true, Ron. The longer the time that passes between the experience and the person reporting it, the, the more details they forget, the more likely they are to say, well, actually, I could have been wrong. And, I mean, the classic example, years ago, I had a very, very, very strange experience in which I tried to run up a staircase after an apparitional figure. I won't tell the story because I've told it so many times before. But there was me and a, a number of friends who had exactly the same experience. We were all, we, the, the four of us had uh, five Four of us had the experience at the time. We ran up the staircase, you know, after this figure. There wasn't even a staircase there. 
But now, whenever we talk about it, we can't remember what happened. And we start to say, well, was it a trick of the light? You know, did we imagine it? And after 20 years, it's, it's faded so much that if we hadn't recorded and talked about it and made a documentary about it in the past, we wouldn't even believe we'd had that experience now. And most people think I'm mad when I say this. They think everyone, you know, makes these things up and it grows in the retelling. I don't think it does. You agree with me then, Ron, that, 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 that actually the memory goes well with time and you're much more likely to fight, to dismiss it. I do, and, and, and I may be wrong, but I, I think it's pretty much that our mind uh, wants order. It wants things that recognize, uh, you know, for instance, the way we, we pick uh, shapes out of clouds and making something, you know, like face matrixing. Our brain wants to recognize things and put things in order, and if it doesn't fit in this normal order, then it starts rationalizing it and make it fit into that order. Right, I'm just pulling up some data now, which is the t a chart from some work I did of the time elapsed between the experience and report given. And what you find on that is that there are seven times more people reporting experiences in the last year than ex reporting experiences five years ago. Now, that doesn't actually sound like very much. Uh, it's actually 14 times more in the last 12 months than in the last 24 months, if you see what I mean, than in the, the 12 months preceding. But there's two possibilities. One is people who are responding to TV, radio, newspaper, and internet advertising tell you about the most recent experience, even though we've always been very careful to say, tell us all of your experiences. We don't mind how long it takes. They, they, they go for the most memorable recent experience often. The other possibility, though, which I think is actually very strong, is that as time progresses, they just rationalize it away. Yeah. And I mean, I know have had really profound experiences 10 years ago, but if you ask them now, they say, oh, it never happened, or what a load of rubbish, or did I say that? No, I must have imagined it. Hmm. And, you know, you're incredulous sometimes. I'd have to agree with you on that totally, because I followed up um, quite a few of these phone call accounts, and especially one that occurred in the 1960s, and mm -hmm. that eyewitness's account is no different from when it was written in the 1960s to how it is now, yeah. even when I've shown it to them and said, is there not something you want to add? Have you not reflected it on it over that time? And they've taken it away. They had a serious look and said, no, that's still how it was. I don't, I haven't changed an opinion. That's what I think it was. Yeah. That's how it happened. I'm not changing that story. That's exactly how it happens. I can't change it. And it stayed the same. There's nothing. Oh, that's good. At least they haven't forgotten it, which is what seems to happen to most of these experiences. Mm. Mm. But then again, they recorded it at the time, so they've got something to go back to. I mean, that's why I remember what happened at Bedford, because we recorded it at the time. Yeah. <laughs> but I think a lot of the stories are actually lost over the years. Have you ever met anybody who had a ghost experience a few years ago and now cannot remember it or denies it? Nope. No, well, no. the question is, is how we, I mean, how would we know that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, unless, we, unless we were, you know, I mean, intimate with them, otherwise we wouldn't really know that they had a ghost experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I can remember, even in my own family, people have had unusual experiences, and then you ask about it years later, and they cannot remember very much about what happened. But, I mean, there are some people, there are some instances which are just so shocking and so profound, they change the way you look at the universe. 
And I think from that point onwards, you always will remember them. There may be some of these flashbulb memory psychologists call them. I found that mainly with the the crisis cases, because in a lot of those where someone is actually grieving for someone, then it does actually change their outlook on life and makes them more optimistic, because then they're looking forward to something and believe that, hey, maybe there is some sort of afterlife, so I'm not alone if it is just... um, a couple and one of the uh, partners dies so the or there's no family so the only thing to go on is this hope that there is something more and you see a lot of people tend to turn towards religion or, or paranormal beliefs when they do lose a lot of family around them and they are becoming the only person left and growing old and it, it totally changes their outlook on life and they, they tend to go out and start doing things that they wouldn't normally do just be a bit more adventurous in life because they think there's something to look forward to well they might you're not going to believe this, guys, but we just about run out of time. That was the uh, okay. bell. That was the Grim Reaper telling us that the show is about to be yanked. So we have to wrap it up. Uh, any any last thoughts, DJ? Uh, no, fantastic. Lovely to meet you all. Sorry, I didn't manage to be very controversial, but uh, keep going. That's hunting, what it's all about. And keep safe. Right. And do you and have come any back events before two that- years? There you go. Do you have any events or, or anything uh, you want to plug at this time? Uh, no, but you can all buy Kel's book, which is called Phone Calls from the Dead, and which is now available from pre-order on Amazon. I, I don't write books, but Kel Cooper's book, Phone Calls from the Dead, it's looking excellent. Really yeah. looking forward to that. And Richard's new book, Toilet... Was it? <laughs> <laughs> it's not out yet. It's not ready yet. <laughs> Thank you, yeah, but I'm sure it'll be ready by January the 1st. <laughs> CJ, going yeah. rich CJ, and he'll, he'll, he'll get a ghostwriter. No, I need one. Anyway, CJ, thank you so much for being on the show. We really do appreciate it. Thanks a lot. It's lovely to talk to you talk again. Talk to you soon, my uh, friend. Get cool sometime. Take care. Bye. Cheers, mate. Bye. And, and Cal, your book, your book is coming out, right? It is now available for pre-order on uh, Amazon UK. Oh, sorry, yes, on Amazon.co.uk it is available for pre-order. So it is still going to be a while because it, it definitely won't be available until the end of January. So I, as soon as I finish tonight, I'm going straight back to work on the book because there's a lot more to do, but everything's being done as soon as possible. It's totally different to the normal book because this is a totally different type of publishing that I'm going through. So I can work to my own deadlines. But yes, it's pre-order available now on Amazon.co.uk, telephone calls from the dead. Cool. And uh, thanks for uh, joining us and adding your uh, parapsychological point of view, which is good. And Richard, uh, what's happening with you? We've got a few seconds left. Oh, what's all sorts of things are happening with me? I've got another TV company chasing, which is a very exciting. I've got a new book coming out, um, Ghosts of Greater Manchester. Uh, what else? Oh, all sorts of other things happening. Uh, and the Psychic and Science show starts again. Um, in February next year. I'm very excited about that. And we've got a, a tour of Ireland, a month in Ireland next year in June. So uh, it's all it's all very exciting at the moment, Rob. Very exciting. Excellent. And uh, I know I have my new paranormal CSI uh, course at the college coming up in February. So anyways, it's time to wrap it. Good night and God bless all. Talk to you soon, guys. Happy hauntings. Take care. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-legged beasties, and the